0: With me to Isaiah chapter 48 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 48, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 22, which is the end of the chapter today, verses 12 through 22. Before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer and ask that He would help us with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us, particularly with this topic of obedience and understanding what it means to obey, what it means that we, even as people who have been saved by your blood for all time and for all eternity, what it means for us to obey. Help us to understand, Lord, that our obedience isn't earning favor with you we can't do that but help us to also see what we miss when we aren't obedient to you we pray this in your holy name amen so as i read through this it made me think about a recent encounter that i had at school we're about a month away from starting a new school year and each year when we start a new school year, of course, the first few days, everybody's excited and they want to do, do really good in class, you know, and they're, they're all doing the right thing for those first few days, and that continues for most at some level anyway, it kind of fluctuates, but most of them are doing pretty good, but then there's always a small percentage that starts to fizzle around three to five days in, school wears off pretty quickly for them, and they fall into the familiar patterns that they always do, and I typically ask them pretty early on in the year. Do you really like biology? And inevitably, the students that aren't doing any work and aren't studying will say no. They, they hate biology. And I'll follow them up. I thought you really liked it because you're planning on being in here again next year. <laughs> and they always call my bluff. They don't listen. I worked summer school a few days this year, this summer. And I saw many of those same students who were making up lost credit, some of them. Biology credits that they could have made up, they could have just did, you know, if they had listened, but they didn't. I saw, uh, those same students, instead of working, there were some that were working hard to recover their credits, and they did, and they did a great job, recovered their credits that they lost during the year, but some of them were watching anime, or some of them were sleeping on their desks. I told them, I was like, this is a great chance for you to make up a year's worth of credit in just a few days. Some of them listened. Of course, you know the true, the story, some of them did not. They attended 175 days of school and two weeks of summer school and they did nothing. The whole time. And I think you get the picture. We all understand what it means not to listen. We all understand that. If someone tells us a good thing, right? Like, yeah, maybe. And we don't listen and we wish we had. It starts really early on in our lives. And it continues on until we die. Even though we have no difficulty recognizing that in someone else, of course, particularly when we're the one telling them things, we have no difficulty recognizing, well, they didn't listen to me, they should have listened to me. We oftentimes have a lot of difficulty understanding when we aren't the ones that are listening. We tend to think that this sort of thing doesn't apply to us because we, unlike anyone else that's ever lived, have arrived and we know things. In our text today, the Lord is calling his people to listen. We're going to see this word a few times there. And explains to them what they've missed out on by not listening. This is important for us. And remember, we talked about sanctification last week and what that means. That it's a work that God is doing in us to make us more and more like his son Jesus. To make us more holy. is literally what the word means. Sanctification is not a completely passive work. It's not something that he's just doing in us in spite of us. Indeed, he is doing that in spite of us. We see that. But multiple times in Scripture also, we're also told that we should be doing the work of sanctification. And in order to do the work, we have to listen to what God is telling us we ought to be doing. So as we get into this topic, we're going to break it up into two points. The people who did not listen... And the second one, the Lord who changes them anyway. So with that, let's look together at our text. Isaiah 48, starting at verse 12, reading through the end of the chapter. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah chapter 48, starting at verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first. And I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call them, they stand forth together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him who shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arms shall be against the Chaldeans. I... Even I have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea, your offspring would have been like the sand, and your descendants like its grains. Their name would have never been cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the desert. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again remember last week the theme was that God had was saved or he had saved his people and he was sanctifying his people for his name's sake. They received a benefit from that eternal life becoming more like Jesus which are good things yet God's primary motivation for that work was so that he might receive more glory and praise. He did it for his name's sake. The theme today is very similar with this added component of God calling the people to listen and showing them what happened when they didn't. When they didn't listen. Remember, the people that are supposed to be hearing this, by the way, just as a a way of reminder, the people that Isaiah intends to hear this one day are the people that will be coming out of Babylon after a 70-year exile there, having been delivered by this one who is supposed to be named Cyrus that no one's ever even met because his grandparents haven't even been born yet. And they will have to make this arduous trip from Babylon, which is in the center of Iraq, all the way back to Jerusalem, which is, you know, through one of the driest and most horrible places in the world, the Arabian Desert. It's not going to be any kind of pleasure cruise getting back to Israel. And so he's giving them this word. In many ways, a lot like the Exodus that we read in, you know, in the book of Exodus, where they went from Egypt to Jerusalem. This trip is a picture of our walk as the believers in this world, as we wrestle with the difficulties of the world. And having been delivered, having been saved, we still have this journey ahead of us to get to the place that God ultimately has for us. The goal is sanctification. The goal is glorification with Him and eternal rest with our Lord Jesus forever and ever. We can't wait for that to occur. But before we get there, we have this long journey ahead of us. And it's important that we listen to all that He tells us along the way. That brings us to the first point, the people who do not listen. Verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I call. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call them, they stand forth together. Notice the things that he's putting together in this passage. Here the Lord calls his people to listen. Not only this, he proclaims them as ones that he has called. And again, notice... This calling is not like when I was a little kid and I was outside playing and I'd been out there all day and I was dirty and I needed to get cleaned up before I ate, you know, that sort of thing. And my mom would open the door and she would call me in. I knew it was time to go, to start to come in when the mercury lights came on. That was like I knew mom was getting ready to say something. Sure enough, she'd open the door, call me and I would linger, you know, kind of slowly making my way. I knew that the day was coming to an end, and I was going to have to go to sleep. And I wasn't really down with that, which is weird to think that I didn't want to go inside and rest. <laughs> but I didn't. I wanted to be outside, so I'd walk in slowly. wasn't ready to do what my mom told me to do. Definitely wasn't. Notice what the calling of the Lord does here. When I call to them, they stand forth together. It wasn't like me dragging my feet to come inside the house. The calling of the Lord produces the results He means for it to produce. This isn't the first time we've seen this idea. Definitely not the last time you see it in scripture. Notice He compares this calling to His ability to form and shape the earth. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, my people, they stand forth together pretty incredible when he created the heavens and the earth he made things that weren't even there and he told them how and where to be and they did that thing that he told them to do when he called his people notice their reaction they come they stand forth they assemble again here's another example of god's sovereignty to save whomever he will according to his own purposes we have we have this discussion a lot around here because it's you know it's all over scripture God does as He pleases. When He saved His people, He's not coming to another autonomous being with a proposition for them. He's coming as the prime mover of all creation, saving a people for Himself, even in spite of themselves. And He continues this in the next three verses. Look at verses 14 through 16 again. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them, has declared these things, the Lord loves him. And now he's talking about somebody else, and we already know who somebody else is because look at what he's telling him to do. The Lord loves him who shall perform his purpose in Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I even I spoke and I called them, and I've and I've brought him, and he will prosper in his way. He talks about this man that we've talked about before, Cyrus. He's the one who he's chosen to fulfill his purposes against the, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Cyrus is going to succeed in his efforts because those efforts have been directly backed by the sovereign Lord of creation. Not because Cyrus is really good at anything. He's really good at being the Lord's tool in this. But notice how he changes the tone in verse 16. It's because we have this whole other speaker entering in to the fray. Look at verse 16 again. And understand, this. obviously this isn't Cyrus speaking, because Cyrus can't do the things the speaker is saying. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Who's the Father and the Spirit sending out? Who's... Talking about being there since the beginning and then mentioning also the Father and the Spirit in the same sentence. Who could possibly be doing that? Well, of course we know who it is. Most commentators see this as the pre-incarnate Christ speaking through the prophet Isaiah. We're going to see this again and again as we continue through this book. We saw it in chapter 42 as we saw one of those first servant songs of the Lord. And Isaiah mentions the servant of of God who's to come, this, of course, points to our Lord Jesus. We're going to see a picture again in, in chapter 49 of that, and ongoing, really throughout the book, we're going to see pictures of this servant who is to come. They point to a time when the Lord would send the redeemer to save his people. And these servant songs will, in some cases, point to him in very great detail. And so in verse 16, we have a small picture of this. Who do you see working when it comes to the redemption and the salvation of his people? We see a triune God working to do this. Father, Son, and Spirit in agreement working together to save the people that they have set aside for themselves. What Cyrus was sent to do, Cyrus was sent to deliver the people from Babylon. This is only a small type of what Jesus would ultimately carry out for the people of God on the cross. And through the triune God, or though the triune God is the sole actor in the salvation of his people, the sanctification of his people is going to require their input. And we see this in verses 17 through 19. Look with those verses with me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in a way that you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. It's almost as if the Lord is a little disappointed. It's like, oh, I've had all these things. Oh, that you had just paid attention then your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea, your offspring would have been like the sand, your descendants like its grains, their name would have never be cut off or destroyed from before me. He again announces who he is and what he has given them. The instructions that he has gifted them with would have lasted them Forever, they would have been. They would have been able to live that way forever, if only they had listened. When I read this verse, this is what made me think of my biology students and the, the time that I have with them, and both in the school year and those few days that I had with them during summer school. It's not like my class is some difficult. Triumph. You know, it's 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 high school and it's a freshman level class, at least that particular class is the one that they're that most students are failing. I just make a deal with them at the beginning of the year. You just turn in all your work. And you know you're respectful. And we're gonna have we don't have a problem. You're gonna pass my class. Just turn in all your work. Put forth a little effort, show me you care just a little bit. I'm gonna give you plenty of time in class to do all the things. I'm gonna give you all the resources you could possibly need. You just need to put forth a little bit of effort and I'm going to do all the rest of it and then you're going to pass. With all that I have done for them, with everything that I've done for my students, they should be passing my class with ease and there should never be any failures. And I am a finite and sinful man. How much more as the sovereign Lord of creation, the sole redeemer of his people, made it easy for them by giving them clear concise commandments by which to live. And yet they will not listen. Notice verse 18, their lack of listening does not stop them from being God's people. It's not as if God comes to the realization, Oh, you guys haven't really been listening all along. Well, I'm going to go find some more people now. It's not as if that's happening. He still wants, they're still his people. He's still take, he's still going to Babylon. The reason in Babylon in the first place is because they wouldn't listen. And now he's sending a Redeemer to save them from Babylon because they're his people. He cares about them. He wants to save them. But they haven't been listening all along. They weren't listening when Eve ate the fruit. When Abraham passed his wife off as a sister. When Jacob had children with four different women. When David lived a life of serial adultery. They weren't listening. It's not like they got to a point in their history and stopped. It's not like we can read all the way to First Kings. And this is the point when Israel stopped listening. No, they never have. They've always just been messed up. It's almost like a picture of our own lives. They've never listened. We've never listened. And notice... We haven't yet lost our status as God's children because we can't. We've only lost the peace and the righteousness and the continued assurance that we should have as God's covenant people. Instead, in our disobedience, we've exchanged this peace like a river. We've exchanged it for worry. We've exchanged righteousness for worldly possessions We've given up on assurance so we could chase our own neon rainbow. Notice how God describes peace and righteousness. Peace like a river. It's not some seasonal spring or stream that just dries up. You know, in this part of the world, there are a lot of those. The rivers aren't very common in this part of the world because it's extremely dry. We think that we have a dry month here. They have dry like decades. All right, but there are some rivers that just continue to flow. It's, it's peace like a river, always flowing. Righteousness like the waves, continually and powerfully breaking against the shore. Never ending, always consistent. Rather than laying claim to the promises of God, we lay claim to a small corner of this fleeting world and stare at it as if we've done some great thing. Why do we do this? Why do we resist when it comes to the work of God changing us, of God sanctifying us? And again, I want to reiterate that this is a work that we share with God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is just one of the places that we can see this. I have this sinking suspicion that I've mixed it up and I get 1st and 2nd Corinthians backwards all the time. No, I got it right. Yes. Okay. 2nd Corinthians chapter 6, I'm gonna read, starting at verse 14, I'm gonna read the first verse of chapter 7. And so again, Understanding where we're coming from, the context of Isaiah, this idea of a people who have these promises but don't listen to them, who have these commandments but don't obey them, and then what God intends for us to do. Let's look and see what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Again, what what do we have in common with this world that we so desperately seek? We have the promises of a living God, the very sovereign over creation. We have those promises for us. What does the world have? Dust. We share nothing with them. Knowing that, as God said... I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. And I love Paul's commentary here on that passage. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This applied to Isaiah's day, just like it does to our own. Since we have these promises, what are we doing then mixing it up with the world? They don't have anything to do with one another. Why are we mixing the promises of God with the fleeting promises of the world and trying to make them work together, trying to satisfy ourselves in that way? Rather, Paul says, cleanse yourself. This is not this has nothing to do with justification that has happened in Christ. My sins have been paid for. Jesus has taken my sins I've been given His righteousness. It's not that kind of cleansing. I'm already saved because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with that. That is completed in Christ. Yet the instruction is clear. We play an active role in our sanctification. This is something that we should be seeking out. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'll start at verse 9 and read through 15. This whole chapter is good for this. encourage you for your own study to be looking at that. It's about Christ and who He is. I'll start at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. ...to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as much in my presence, but much more in my absence... ...notice what he's going to tell them to do, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among you, among whom you shine as lights to the world. Notice Paul isn't talking here about earning our salvation by being obedient. That is not at all what's in play here. We aren't earning a spot. We aren't earning our favor with Jesus. Yet... The salvation that happened in us because of the work of Christ is something that we are working out in obedience. We aren't left alone in this. It's not as if Jesus brought us to to one point and we have to do the rest. It's not what's going on. He's still with us. He's never going to forsake us. Remember, we read last week, what is he doing in us? Even despite of ourselves, for his name's sake, he is making these changes in us. And so this isn't something that He's left us alone to do. Even in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6, a very famous verse, He who began a work in you shall see it through to completion. He's going to do this. He's going to make sure it's done right. But that doesn't get us off the hook. I think obedience often gets put in the shadow when it comes to God's grace and mercy. And for His mercy and His grace, we are infinitely thankful. We are in awe of them. And so then how do we show that we are grateful? How do we show that all? Well, we listen. We obey. We grab hold of the promises of God. And, they trust, and we trust that they'll be true regardless of what's going on around us. When things are going on around us, we don't reach and grab for the nearest pile of dust to save us. We grab a hold of the promises of Jesus Christ. Because the world's going to show us things that are seemingly better than the promises of God. It's been happening since the garden, right? Didn't the serpent try to give Eve something that was seemingly better than the promises of God? The first people dealt with this. What makes us think that we're not going to deal with this? Yet we have to resist. Work out your salvation. Obey the commandments of God that you might be, as Paul says, blameless and innocent before Him. And that's difficult. It's a difficult task for us to obey. And I understand that. For many of us, we want to give up on it. Or sometimes we hear this command. We hear that it's right for Christians to obey. And we immediately want to jump onto the side of the boat. and says, well, that's legalism. You're being legalistic, Pastor Chipman. I just read with you what Paul said. Talk to him. Because when we say that, our pendulum will easily swing and you've heard me talk about this pendulum between legalism and licentiousness or lawless living as soon as we start to say well it's legalism to obey we're going to start to swing back to that lawless side of things and we have to be careful as believers that we don't do that so what's the hope? we've been saved by Jesus yet we are called to obey and it's part of who we are and it's part of our faith well that brings us to the second point We are a people who don't listen, but the Lord changes us anyway. Look with me at verses 20 and 21, back in Isaiah 48. Go out from Babylon, free from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts, talking about the exodus. They, he made water flow for, for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. All of that, they did not listen. And if you stack that with, with some of the things that we read last week, remember what he said about the people, I knew you were a rebel from birth. And now what is God doing for his people anyway? He's saving them. He's going to march them through the desert. And they're going to get there safely. Cyrus was the tool that started this whole thing. But ultimately it's God who is called the redeemer of his people. The holy one of Israel. And just like in verse 16. We saw that small picture of what would one day happen to the people of God. Only hundreds of years later from Isaiah's day. The son of God would come himself. He's no longer going to be sending the Cyrus's. Of the world, but he's going to come himself and accomplish the work of redemption once and for all. Remember, Jesus said, It is finished. When Cyrus delivered the people, that couldn't be said because just read their history. You know they're going to mess up again. You know they're going to do it. We we meet them again. They're being captured by the Romans. They need another Savior. And Jesus comes. And He did so, He offered them redemption and bought them redemption by offering Himself as an eternal sacrifice for the sins of His people. He took their rebellion, He took their you-did-not-listen, He took their sin upon Himself, and He gave them His righteousness. He suffered the anger and wrath of God. They were due that they, the people of God, might know the eternal favor of God. And that they could find rest for their souls. And this is what we have in Jesus, brothers and sisters, in Christ. We talked about this as we went through Ecclesiastes this morning. Before we go on, it's important again to reiterate, obedience doesn't save you. Don't hear me say, be better people, because you can. not That's the whole point. We're going to try and we should work at it. Something Paul tells us, work out your salvation. Do this. Yes, but we're going to struggle. And so what do I need to rely on? I can't rely on me because I'm completely unreliable. I have to rely on Jesus. Jesus obeyed perfectly. So only Jesus then deserves eternal life. And that's the whole point. He took the thing that he deserved, gave it to me. He took the thing that I deserved and put it upon himself. And if you're a believer here today, there's a river of peace that we miss out on. When we think the world is a better answer than that, if you're an unbeliever, if you're hearing all this and maybe the Lord's speaking to you and it's affecting you, understand this: you're going to face God one day. Everybody will. Everybody's going to. We read in the New Testament there in Philippians that every knee is going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. You can see that throughout Scripture that that's going to happen. You're going to face God one day. And if you do that without Jesus, you don't have Jesus' righteousness. You have your own. And your own is zero. And you're going to have to spend an eternity paying for your sin yourself. Why not do that today? Receive Jesus. Call upon His name and be saved. You can experience this river of peace that Isaiah writes about. The waves of righteousness. You can experience that now. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. And brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we experience this anew in our own lives as we've drifted to and fro? Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember what's going on in Deuteronomy? They had just been in the wilderness for, for 40 years because they would not listen. And now they get to go into the promised land. Or at least some of them do. Not even Moses got to go because, guess what? Moses did not listen. And I love these words from the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live. Again, we see this right here. That you may live. And multiply and go and possess the land the Lord has swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that you might be humble or that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep his commandment or keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in the ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land. A land of brooks of water and fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley of vines and figs and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack like nothing. A land whose stones are ironed and out of the hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. The message hasn't changed these thousands of years before Isaiah, the thousands after. Moses is speaking to a people who would enter the promised land. They would see the promised land of God hundreds of years before Isaiah. And yet all these, words, all these years later, the words are still true. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you, look at your life. Look at your life ten years ago even. And compare to when you first came to know Jesus. Isn't He so good to us? Isn't He wonderful to change that garbage that He took and make it into what it is today? Remember again, brothers and sisters in Christ, how much more does He have for us? The land that He brought them to in that picture, which seemed wonderful. It's just a small picture the place that is being prepared for us even now in jesus christ our lord and so in conclusion let us rejoice and be glad for the journey that we have here on this earth let us obey the commandments of god that we might find peace and rest for the journey before us and then let us glorify the name of jesus because he took dead sinners and is bringing them to the promised land let's go to him in prayer Our Lord Jesus, you call us to abide in you. And that is difficult for us. It's so simple. It makes so much sense. I want to do it. But the thing that I want to do, I have so much trouble with. So Lord, we pray that you help us. We need your help when it comes to working out our salvation. We know that you have not left us alone. So Lord, help us. We pray that you would help us to obey, that we might experience the peace that you have for us, the righteousness that you have gifted us, that we might know in fullness the promises that you have given to us from all eternity into all eternity. We are thankful for what you've done for us on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.